this is an oral history interview with Scott Reed. Um, we're in the offices of uh, Mr. Reed's government relations firm, Chesapeake Enterprises, in Washington, D.C. Uh, today is Thursday, November 8, 2007, and I'm Brian Williams. Scott, let's start with your first contacts with Senator Dole. Well, I first met Senator Dole back in 1987 out in Iowa when I was working for a congressman named Jack Kemp. We were both competing for the Republican Party nomination, and I would occasionally meet him at events where there would be multiple candidates. Um, it was usually quick and in passing. Um, Bob Dole went on to win the caucus that year in Iowa, um, but that was really the first time I'd ever met him up, up close and gotten to take his measure. And then subsequent to up until 96, you had intermittent contact with him. Uh. Well, I, I then got to re-know him and really know him in 1993 and 1994 when I was the executive director of the Republican National Committee. Uh, Bill Clinton had just been elected president. Republicans were down and out, and we were really in the rebuilding phase of the party. Um, we had a very successful 93 cycle and 94 cycle, and uh, I got to work with Senator Dole during that time usually going over survey research with him and polling and talking about targeting and where he would be best able to spend his time. He was a national figure. He was the leader of the party at the time um, in the Senate, and uh, he was a real asset when he would fly into some of these states for local candidates or statewide candidates. Uh, he would have a real impact. He would bring them usually a day or two of free media that he was coming in. He would usually raise them a lot of money. And he was very good at delivering a campaign message that would be consistent with what our candidates were looking for at the time. You say 93 and 94. So who was winning elections in 93? Well, 1993 was a governor's race in Virginia, George Allen. Governor's race in New Jersey, Christy Todd Whitman, which Senator Dole was very fond of and close to her. And it was Rudy Giuliani uh, running again for mayor of New York City. And those were the three big elections. We swept all three of them. And that was important because that was really a sign to the country and to Republicans and to Republican candidates that were thinking about running that this wasn't all about Bill Clinton, that maybe there was some hope out there. And that's when we went through a very extensive uh, candidate recruitment phase in early, late 93 and early 94. And uh, Senator Dole was heavily involved in that as candidates would come to town for the Senate. Uh, they would go over and spend some time in the leader's office, in that majestic office, and uh, see him operate, and he would encourage them to take a look at the race. He usually knew more about their state and their different counties and the results of the elections than they did, and, but he would encourage them to run and encourage them to get out there and work hard and raise the money and put together a campaign apparatus to try to go out and win. And your success was remarkable in those two years, uh, for sure. Well, those were two amazing years in that we didn't lose any elections. Um, uh, we won everything. Um, we weren't doing everything right, but what was amazing about that period was we weren't a party that was just against Bill Clinton, but we actually worked to have a positive alternative to Bill Clinton, and that was a turning point in politics in that we talked about the contract with America, which was a list of ideas, and we would encourage candidates to just pick a few of them. You didn't have to be for all of them. But they were all good, right-of-center, um, common-sense ideas that we thought would play well around the country, and they worked, and they gave candidates the confidence. And by the way, they were backed up by the leaders, Dole in the Senate, Gingrich in the House. Um, so candidates would read about them nationally, and they'd feel comfortable using those as issues uh, back in their home states. 
operationally, how did the RNC work? What was your role as uh, chief of staff and Haley Barber as chair and so forth? Well, I was the executive director of the Republican National Committee, had been hired by Haley Barber, who was the chairman, and uh, he forged a very strong relationship with Senator Dole in the Senate and Newt Gingrich in the House, who was the de facto leader for the Republicans. And the three of them worked as a trifecta. Uh, They coordinated message. They coordinated the direction of the party. They coordinated the the fundraising and the resources. And most importantly, they got heavily involved in targeting and candidate recruitment because we felt if we had the money, we recruited the right candidates, and then we were able to to develop a basic campaign message that everybody could um, embrace that was a positive alternative to Bill Clinton and what he and Hillary were trying to do at the time, that we'd have a possible winning combination. And we started to see signs of this in 94, in April or May, when we at the National Committee, would, we would just start getting reams of mail from our fundraising. It wasn't the normal couple trays a day, but it was boxes. Of, and we thought at the time there may be something going on out there at the grassroots level. There was a lot of unhappiness with Clinton, and we were fielding some candidates we, were have, we had them well-financed, and most importantly, we had a campaign message. So that's when we first saw early warning signs that there may be something going on out there in the country, spring of 94. Did you ever feel like the task that you had was overwhelming because 50 states and... Not really. My task at the time was to try to help um, train um, party operatives, uh, raise money. Sometimes I thought I was really a money manager because we were raising money and having to allocate it properly. Um, at the time, we probably uh, traditionally the party would fund 30 or 40 House races, congressional seats, fully fund them. We ended up funding 110. I mean, it was just a remarkable difference. But um, we grew as uh, and we made commitments as we grew. And one thing we tried to do at that time was make commitments early and stick with them. So campaigns, there was never any gray area in our operation. It was either black and white. We told you we were in or we weren't, and we told you what we were going to do, and we did it. So campaigns could adjust because in the past there had been oftentimes the National Party would come in at the last minute and just throw a bunch of money at a race when they didn't even know how to spend it, they couldn't spend it, and it was wasted. So we tried to learn from some of the mistakes of the past, and um, I had worked at the party in the past in two different positions, understood how the mechanics worked, and um, this was a new role. So let's fast forward then to January of 95. Um, you had already known Bill Lacey pretty well, and you and he sat down and he asked you if you were interested in running the campaign for Dole. Well, I had had a couple approaches by some of Senator Dole's uh, friends, and I had told them that I really wasn't interested because I wasn't sure at the time it was the right thing for me to do. I did not have a close relationship with Senator Dole. Not that that was everything, but um, I was pretty happy where I was. We had had a successful cycle, and I actually went on a trip with a group of Republicans to Israel. Uh, I think it was an APAC junket where we spent seven or eight days driving around the country and learning and all you do on those trips is talk about politics. And as I was over there, I thought more about the race. I looked at who was running, and I thought not only that Dole could win, but that he was the type of person I'd want to spend the next couple of years with if I was going to stay in this business and try to help. And so I came back, and I reached out, and I told him I'd be interested, and we started a dialogue, and Lacey was instrumental in that. 
getting that started and uh, was a, and still is a very good friend. I thought I'd read somewhere where uh, you were you had to think a good deal about uh, taking the job. Well, I did, and that's why I was hesitant at first because um, Senator Dole had a reputation of firing campaign managers, of going through people, and uh, I think I even kidded him about that in the first time when we really sat down and he didn't think it was very funny. Um, but it was his reputation, and I thought it was something that needed to be um, discussed. I, uh, I have a lot of admiration. I still do for Senator Dole. I had a lot back then, but it was something, if I was going to get into this, it was going to be 110% commitment. It was going to be making, contrib- you know, giving up things financially, giving up things personally with my family, just like everything I do. And I wanted to do it right, and that's why I decided to um, spend some time with him as we went through this and discuss some of my ideas and his ideas and, more importantly, how we would operate together. And we ended up having a very close operational relationship, very close, still do today, very good friends. But it was important that we be in sync because I've seen too many campaigns where the candidate and the campaign manager are on different planes, and that doesn't work. It's not good for anybody, and I didn't really want to be part of anything like that. So we discussed that a good bit. So you didn't feel as if you had a lot of misgivings, or any misgivings? No, I didn't have any misgivings. What I had were, uh, I knew I was up for the job. I had um, questions about how, how I would integrate with his team. I mean, he had, uh, he had a very extensive team of people that I did not know well, and I wanted to make sure that he recognized that if we, we needed to all work in sync, and I need to be in sync with what the leader's office was doing in the Senate every day, which we were. Um, not that I was any great whiz and going to give any great direction, but I couldn't be surprised if I was going to try to design a campaign. You know, the campaign was about how to complement the candidate and how to use his strengths and project an image. And yes, you had to look at weaknesses, perceived weaknesses, real weaknesses, and figure out how you were going to handle those. And we had some great strengths, and part of what I tried to do was expand on those strengths and put the candidate forward in a way that would put away all the thoughts or the preconceived notions that a lot of the press corps had. That was our first challenge, was to really convince the National Press Corps Dole could run a campaign. It wasn't going to be like 1988 where they couldn't even switch a TV commercial in New Hampshire because no one knew how to do it. We were going to be operationally sound. There was issues of age at the time. We needed to show he had the vigor and the strength and the power to go run a national campaign. And uh, those were some of the things we and we needed to be in sync. We needed to show, because he was now the leader of the party in the Senate. You had Gingrich on the other side of the Capitol that was the new hot brand. We needed to be in sync there. Um, so those are the type of things we discussed, and we got comfortable with one another before we agreed that we were going to do this together. So at, at some early point, you and he just sat down together, the two of you. We had a number of discussions in, in the leader's outer office where we just discussed about a style and a operational um, really an ability for us to work together, and I wanted to make sure we could do that, and I knew we could. But I, again, I thought it was important we talked about those things up front so there weren't any surprises, and um, we developed a great working relationship and a professional relationship, and it worked. You know, talk about the rapport that you established. What, what, what was that like? Was it close? Or? Oh, we became very close. Uh, I sometimes felt it was almost a father-son relationship, we sp- which I'm very proud of. We spoke a lot, um, usually early in the morning throughout the day. I had enough judgment on what things he needed or wanted or should know about in the campaign, and I tried to keep him out of the minutiae. I mean, he was known 
as a micromanager, and I wanted his value. I mean, understand, this is a man that had been on the ticket 20 years earlier, the national ticket. Here was on the verge of, we did our job right, of being on the ticket again. 20 years later, that's never happened. So you, uh, you, you, you needed to look at all those assets he had and try to figure out a way to harness them. He had a day job running the Senate, being the leader of the party. We were now the party in charge. Um, and our campaign was kind of, we were a weekend warrior. I mean, we'd have him on the weekends, and we would schedule him effectively and as wisely as we could and get the most out of that. The guy worked like a 20-year-old. He had an unbound energy, and that's how we really ran the thing. I mean, we, um, we had a strategy of working for the nomination. It wasn't going to be given to anybody. We needed to show we could run a campaign. We needed to raise the money, and we needed to score early and often, and that's what we ended up doing. Talk a little bit about the relationship of your operation with the leader's staff and then his own office over in Hart and those folks. What was that like? Well, the most important thing was that we were all in sync and that there weren't any surprises, that the campaign wasn't doing anything that was going to surprise the leader's office or vice versa. And the Kansas office was also very important. So we had a good relationship, working relationship, where we would meet regularly. Um, scheduling for the weekdays was driven out of the Senate office. For the weekends was driven out of the campaign. When we had things we needed to get done during the week in the Senate office, we'd have that input. But it was important we worked together. There wasn't an us versus them mentality. There never was. We, that was one of the four or five things we discussed, the Senator and I did up front, that I needed his help to make that work. And of course he said it'll be done, and it was done. But it made it a lot easier for me. I've seen a lot of campaigns that are the uh, professional staff is different than the governing staff, and if, it, if they're not working in sync, it won't work. What about the challenge that some people uh, made that, the, that particularly the Hart office was a little too liberal? Well, there was a lot of that talk, um, and it really didn't bother us because at the end of the day, we were focusing the campaign on the senator and what he said, and we spent a lot more time not just talking about when are we going to announce, but we actually talked about what are we going to say. And that was a change because words matter. And when you're running for a party nomination, remember, we had just won everything in 94. The conservatives were riding high, and we needed to position him as a consistent, long-term, strong conservative that could work with Gingrich at the time and get things done. That was our challenge. Phil Graham, the senator from Texas, that was what he was trying to do. And so we needed to be in sync. So there'd be little press snipings occasionally about people being liberals. But the truth is that that didn't bother me. It didn't affect any voters in Iowa or New Hampshire. It caused some skirmishes down in the press office. But at the, at the end of the day, I didn't take much stock in all that kind of stuff. Do you recall uh, the lead-up to, oh, I'm sure you do, the announcement speech where he, where he announced and how that was going to be phrased and whatnot? And I think there was a fair amount of controversy over that? Is that? Am I right on that? No, there really wasn't on that. The, there the various uh, versions being written by various hands and so forth? Oh, there probably was some of that. Uh, there was a lot of that at the uh, acceptance speech. Maybe you're thinking about that out in San Diego. But the announcement was in early April. We had decided on it in January. We picked a date. We had a lead-up of things we needed to do. And we wanted to really use that as one to show the country that Bob Dole could run a campaign to get him out there strongly on a, a message of good conservative principles. And three, we wanted to raise some money. And in those days, 
raising a million dollars in a night was a big deal. It was a huge deal. It was a guaranteed front page New York Times story. Now, guys running for the house raise a million dollars and no one even blinks at it. But we had some very specific goals. Um, we did it out in Kansas. We hired some of the best advanced men that had worked for President Reagan to put this together. Uh, we were going to do it outside on the steps of the state capitol the night before. It was lousy weather. It was raining. It was cold. So we ended up moving it indoors. You, could, you wouldn't have even noticed because it went off flawlessly. It was a huge crowd. It was a boisterous crowd. And I believe it really gave Senator Dole and Elizabeth a lot of confidence that they were on the right road because they saw that it works, that when you plan and you have a, something to say with a message and you execute it well, he spent a lot of time working on his delivery of his speech, so it really looked like it came from the heart, and it was, why he was running. And uh, we could do all the, all the uh, theatrics, that's the easy part, and it all came together, and we, had a, um, we actually had a very successful announcement week because the way we went into that was strategically we tried to have a standard speech with a, with a little news every day to keep the traveling press corps interested in following it, culminating with the big fundraisers. And we ended up, I believe, raising four or five million that week. And more importantly, literally dominating the news for an entire week. It, it showed that Dole was here, he was running, he was serious. And again, I think it gave him a lot of confidence that, hey, this could work. We can do it this time. And uh, that's what we set out to try to do. And it was a good, very good week. Going back to your just getting involved in, in the campaign, did you have a conversation with Jack Kemp about that? I told uh, Jack what I was going to do, but I pretty much did it after I told him I was going to do it. Um, uh, Kemp was not going to run. Uh, we had still been friends, um, but I didn't... Um, I believe I told him right before I had my final meeting with the senator that I was going to do this, and he was very supportive because, again, he hadn't decided to run, and we had all gone off and done different things in our lives and our careers. But I wanted him to know about it. I didn't want him to be surprised. I'd never do anything like that. But I, I didn't feel... Uh, I felt this was the right thing at the time for the country, for the party, and for me personally. And I viewed it as a huge opportunity that I wanted to uh, saddle up for. And he didn't uh, suggest that you uh, go to work for another candidate? Oh, no, not at all. He was... Um, I don't remember if he was surprised or not, but um, he was supportive, and uh, we stayed in touch throughout the whole campaign. He didn't support Dole during the campaign. He ended up supporting Steve Forbes, but, um, you know, that's the way business is. So uh, I know that an awful lot has been written about that campaign, so we, we don't have to spend a lot of time on okay. a lot of details, and you're very widely quoted in a lot of that, too, to your credit. Um, but let's start with, this is the first question I have about the primaries. Why didn't Dole win from the start? Why, why, why did he fumble there in those early? Well, um, as you may remember, we won Iowa. It then went to New Hampshire. New Hampshire had traditionally been a state, first of all, it's a very picky state, especially in the Republican side. Um, it had been a state that had not been very good for Dole in the past when he'd run there in eighty. When he ran there in 88, it really derailed him from the nomination in 88. Back then, it was dominated by the union leader, the newspaper that was very conservative and never really liked Dole. And we always thought that New Hampshire was going to be a problem for us. Um, that's why we spent a lot of time recruiting the governor and the 
members of Congress and the senators and all that, all the smart guys that were going to help us run the campaign. We had a philosophy in that campaign about we didn't pretend to know how to run a campaign in every state, so we would try to find the best, and they would help us, and they would tell us how we ought to be doing it, who we ought to hire, where we ought to spend our time, what are the big issues were, and how we ought to handle those tough issues. But we always thought New Hampshire was going to be a problem for us because of history, and history matters in politics, and it had never been a good state for Dole. And we used to get creamed in the union leader every time we went up there. Um, but, you know, part of, these campaign, part of the campaign is understanding the calendar and understanding that most front runners are always going to stumble somewhere. They're going to, they're going to take a hit. And you're really measured by the voters on how you handle that hit. And do you fold up into a fetal position and get under the desk, or do you move on? And we always thought New Hampshire would be a problem. We always looked down calendar at South Carolina, which um, Iowa and South Carolina can be a winning combination. It's interesting. That's how the calendar's shaping up this cycle, too. And um, while everybody was thinking about Iowa and New Hampshire in December, we started spending some money down in South Carolina and started doing some advertising with the very popular governor and the very popular former governor. That was a, One was a social conservative, one was an economic conservative. We put them in ads together showing that Bob Dole was the right man and how he was acceptable. And that turned out to be some of the best advertising we did because after we stumbled in New Hampshire, we were able to recover when we went south, and I think we won 27 straight primaries after that. So these campaigns are about, they're not about the easy days. None of them are. It's about planning when you hit a bump and how do you deal with that and how do you recover from it and what do you do to move on. How do you account for what was a pretty rapid fade then with the, with the others? I'm thinking particularly of Buchanan, who did so well in Iowa, and, and Forbes, who I think won Arizona. He did. Yeah. And, and Delaware. And uh, particularly Graham. Well, one of the biggest surprises in the whole campaign was Phil Graham, because we had spent literally 1995 designing a campaign about Phil Graham because we thought he would emerge as the conservative alternative to Dole and really be our problem. And lo and behold, Christmas Eve, as we were reviewing the data with our pollsters, Graham wasn't even on the radar screen. He was at 6 or 7%, and Steve Forbes was kind of coming over the mountaintop. Steve Forbes had kind of been a nuisance. He kind of got under Dole's skin. Um, he had started advertising in September in Iowa and New Hampshire. It was 100% negative about Bob Dole being a bad person and a liberal and someone that couldn't be trusted, and he had all these little buzzwords. And um, Forbes was really causing us problems. What we saw in the data was that he had eclipsed Graham. Graham was never going to get off the ground. He had driven our negatives up some. And we made a strategic decision, fine, we're going to go for Forbes. Because the way that we looked at the campaign is you need to pick off your opponents one at a time. Graham had since picked himself off. Forbes was going to be next in our site. We wanted to get to a one-on-one -on -one with Buchanan. And Alexander was always the guy that could be a real problem for us because he was an acceptable moderate who had some money and had a kind of a pretty good campaign style. So we made a decision in early January at the Des Moines Register debate where we were going to focus on Forbes. We didn't tell anybody, but the senator decided, we reviewed, let's, let's go after him in the debate. To have the front runner, the guy that had won Iowa before, Dole, 
go after Forbes was all of a sudden they're going to put all this focus on Forbes. And we didn't think he could handle it. And he had had the time he was running this campaign. He was doing six or seven or eight events a day. He thought it was great. All of a sudden he was getting all this attention from the front runner. The press all swooned on Forbes and they all got on his bus. Well, within 72 hours, he started making mistakes. We never thought he could handle it anyway, and he made a couple faux pas. And you could almost see with the bright lights when they shifted to Forbes, he just melted. And he melted and he melted and he melted. In Iowa and New Hampshire, the early states. At the same time, Alexander was kind of left out of the fray. Graham was irrelevant. Alexander was kind of plodding along. And right after our win in Iowa, which was a win, we need to shift our strategy and go after Alexander and brand him properly with his record when he was governor of Tennessee. Again, with a goal of you take care of Forbes, if you can take care of Alexander, you got a one-on-one with Buchanan. We thought we'd do all right in that one-on-one. And that's kind of how it played out, even though Forbes won Delaware and Arizona, which were, that was really more about us losing than Forbes winning. We then went south to South Carolina, had a handy win, and then it was really us and Buchanan, and Forbes faded, Alexander faded. They didn't have the resources. And you may remember Graham dropped out after Iowa, but he didn't even make it to New Hampshire. He spent $25 million and didn't even make it to the New Hampshire primary. So that's kind of how it unfolded. There's a little luck in politics, but part of it was our planning on how we were going to go after these guys one at a time and try to keep Dole above it all as the inevitable front runner who could run a campaign. So you didn't mention how you did in uh, Buchanan? Well, Buchanan did himself in. I mean, when Buchanan showed up in Arizona with a pitchfork and said the peasants were now coming over the hill, and then I think the next day he stood with a shotgun raised over his head. I mean, he marginalized himself, and um, he's a great guy, but we knew at the end of the day the Republicans were going to come home to a safe guy like Bob Dole, who had been around the block a few times and not want to take a risk on Buchanan. Buchanan was music to the union leader's ear up in New Hampshire, and we knew that was going to be a problem. We didn't think he'd beat us. We were surprised, but thank God we had a plan on how we were going to go on and ultimately win this thing. So by the time that Dole had the electoral or the um, convention votes, the delegates, um, you still were dealing with more primaries. So was there a letdown in energy, or what, what happened sort of in the later stages no, we, of the primary season? We went through the primaries, and the press got bored with it, but we, were, we won every Tuesday. I believe it was the California primary that was really the one that put us over the top with the delegates where we were, that was in March. And then we immediately pivoted to the role of the nominee, which is to unite the party. And we needed to bring all factions of the party together. We had a very high-profile lunch here in Washington. We brought in all the candidates and expressed how we were all now one. We were going to focus on Clinton. And uniting the party was an important thing to do. It had been a tough campaign. There was a lot of people that were disappointed, but every one of these cycles goes through that. And Dole was very good at uniting the party. He'd been the party chairman. He'd been the leader. And uh, he had just shown he can win 24, 25 straight elections. And it, it helped us get prepared for the general election. You're uh, putting a very positive cast on everything here, Um, but I do have to ask you about the Bill Lacey situation and then what I have read, a lot of uh, disagreement about how things are going to be run, particularly with handling the media and so forth. Can you talk about that? 
Well, like all campaigns, you have challenges internally on strategy and tactics and how you're going to move forward. And we had some issues internally about our media, about the type of media we were producing, about what it, um, the taste it left in a lot of people's mouth. It really didn't have a lot of wow factor, I didn't think. At the same time, we had a very condensed period of um, primaries that we needed to make decisions on. And probably one of my biggest mistakes was passing on the Delaware primary. I'm from Delaware. I knew that if we just landed the plane there in Wilmington, we would have dominated for a couple of days. There was only going to be five or 6,000 people that voted in the primary. It was on a Saturday back then. It would have worked. And we were convinced we didn't need to. We were leading in Delaware. And when you make mistakes like that, you start to second-guess your team. You start to second-guess um, how you're operating. And most importantly, my job was to serve the candidate. And if the candidate was losing confidence in what was being done, I was going to fix it. And uh, I did. It was a very difficult thing to do. Bill Lacey's a very good friend. It was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my professional career, but it had to be done. And I asked him to stay involved in a slightly different role. He didn't want to. And we parted. And um, we're still friends out at the Dole Institute. Uh, so who replaced him on the team? Well, we, brought, we had a media team at the time, and we had a guy named Don Sippel that helped um, make the ads and kind of manage the advertising team. And how did, how did relations go there with you and, and Don Sippel? Well, they went all right for a while. They went um, as well as you could. You know, when, once we turned the corner in South Carolina, you know, everybody was an expert. Everybody was brilliant. We were winning. Um, so we then went through a period where Sippel did some work for the National Committee because... They, they were able to legally spend money to help support the nominee, and he made the ads for the party. Haley it was the chairman at the time. And they were a biographical in nature because we recognized that, believe it or not, the country didn't really know who Bob Dole was. And Sippel did that effort, which was pretty much over the spring and the summer, right up till we got to the convention. You, uh, um, you had some... Strong feelings that uh, no, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Excuse okay. me. Um, <clears throat> so, um, okay, so Lacey was out. A new team was in. Now it's a lead up. You see the convention coming on in in August. What was? Well, we had we had really three big things to do that summer. We needed to unite the party and develop a two or three pronged message of what we were going to run on. We needed to select somebody to be on the ticket, and we needed to go have a successful convention, which would really send us out of the blocks. And um, we spent the summer months, the, the National Committee did some advertising. Um, we developed a, a campaign uh, message of a 15% across-the-board tax cut. Uh, welfare reform was going to be a big part of that. Welfare reform was something that Bill Clinton had vetoed twice, we thought it was a very strong issue for us, and the, our friends in the Senate decided to go back and send another welfare reform bill to Bill Clinton, and he signed it right over the July 4th holiday. And it really took a leg out of the campaign. It really surprised us all that they would do that. They were into self-preservation. A lot of politics is about that. But it caused us to have to rejigger our campaign on what our campaign messages and themes were going to be vis-a-vis -vis drawing a contrast with Clinton. A very popular guy, believe it or not. The country was not at war, and the economy was growing. So we were realists that when an incumbent has a growing economy, 
people do vote their pocketbooks and their wallets. It was going to be a tough race, but we thought we had a few issues that could draw a strong contrast. Welfare reform was one of those, and um, that's how we were planning on making it a competitive campaign. And Dole remained engaged during this period and so forth? Dole remained the leader. Um, we recognized when we got to about April that, there were some, that we were having a difficult time being the leader and being the nominee of the party. Um, as I remember, Ted Kennedy was quite effective as uh, going to the floor of the Senate every day and tying up the Senate floor over business about a minimum wage increase. And after three or four weeks of that, Dole and I both recognize this is going to be tough this way, that this isn't really the way to do this because it wasn't working. We were being poorly branded by the Democrats in some very clever ways, and we, were, we didn't think we were ever going to have the ability to get our message out of what the campaign and what Dole really wanted to do as president. So he came to the conclusion, a um, very small number of people knew about this, that he thought it would be best for the country, the party, if he left the Senate, and was a candidate full-time. It kind of re-showed his commitment to the seriousness of now being the party nominee. I mean, this is something that he had strived for for 20 years. He had gotten the, the, the golden ring, and he wanted to do it right. What was your take on his uh, resigning from the Senate? My take on it was the soon as we could get out of the Senate, the better, because it was very difficult for him to manage the day-to-day uh, games that were being played by the Democrats in the Senate. You know, there's a reason senators aren't elected president, and this is one of them. That business in the Senate where the language is different, they talk Senate speak, they talk about things that no one understands in the whole country. The calendar of that, again, we couldn't just be a weekend warrior type of campaign. We were now in a general election mode, and we needed to do more than just campaign Saturdays and Sundays. So I was relieved. I thought it was the right thing to do. I also thought it would give Dole the type of bang he needed for everybody to take a serious look at him, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents, that he was showing a level of commitment. And I know it caught the White House with their pants down. They were surprised. Everybody was surprised. It was a worldwide story. He pulled it off brilliantly. We didn't tell anybody about it. And it had what is very special in politics, an element of surprise. And that's how you get attention, and it worked. And it was a chance for us to kind of rejigger the campaign. What about if he had stayed on in the Senate but not as the leader? I don't think it would have had a very good impact for him. I think it would have, he would have still had to deal with all the baggage of the day-to-day -day operations of the Senate and all the problems, and they would have still rebranded every piece of legislation negatively. And it was important to make a clean break, and I thought it was a, a huge thing for him to do. It had never been done. It did have that. We got a, a quick uptick in the polls. didn't last, but we did. The American people did think it was the right thing, and I think, more importantly, Bob Dole thought it was the right thing, and um, it would have been a terrible decision if he didn't, and I believe at the time he thought it was the right thing, and it was the right way how he wanted to run his campaign. I mean, it showed a level of commitment that the American people needed to see coming out of Bob Dole. Prior to making that decision, how do, how do you evaluate his breakdown of attention between the campaign and continuing to be in the Senate? Well, I don't know if I called it tension as much as it was reality. I mean, the Senate had day-in, day-out business that he oversaw, 
that sometimes came at odds with what we were trying to do in the campaign and what he was trying to do as the leader of the party. And uh, there was, um, again, history matters in this business. And there's a reason why it's very difficult for a senator to become elected president. It has different types of skill sets. It has, uh, you know, a leader is very good at leading. He's a leader of men. He has a word that is strong with his members. But he's also very good at seeing how things are shaping up, timing is everything, and shooting that gap at the last minute and getting your 51 or 60 votes. Being an executive takes a totally different set of skill sets, and I think that's why history shows going from the Senate to the president is a little more difficult. And um, we saw that during the campaign. It's different. It's a different type of skill. So talk about the convention now. Well, the convention was, it was really the highlight of the campaign. Um, we'll go backwards, but when we, left the, when we left San Diego, it was a three-point race and a three-man race with Peral. Um, we had done what we attempted to do was really unite the party. Again, we had an element of surprise by announcing on the eve of the convention that Jack Kemp would be the running mate. Um, no one expected it. It wasn't where we let everybody. And we, were, we had announced in August before the convention we were going to run on this tax cut. And we needed to show the country that we were serious about that tax cut. And we thought there was no better way to do that than to bring in the granddaddy of all tax cuts, Kemp, with the Reagan camp tax cuts to brand it. And that was our goal. We were very pleased the way we rolled it out. The senator was extremely involved, and again, the element of surprise. I think he loved that part of politics. We did it out in Russell. We did it at his family home. It was, uh, it was a great, really, week or eight or nine days of the campaign because we were on the offense talking about things we wanted to talk about, not only during the convention but the lead-up, and it was actually quite exciting. Um, the arrival ceremony at San Diego, and we, we came down in the big boats with a, there were about 100 boats around us. There were 10, 12, 14,000 people waiting out there for us. I mean, I could see it in his eye. He had confidence. Uh, Kemp was with him. He felt good about the choice on Kemp at the time, and uh, he was well-received. I mean, it was a, that was the arrival, and it really set the tone for the whole week, and that was, uh, was a fantastic week. What role did you play in the selection of Kemp? Well, I was pretty involved in it, as you can imagine, because I had a relationship with Kemp from working for him years ago. And um, as we went through the normal process of the vetting of the other men we were looking at, I was heavily involved in that and did a lot of the shuttle diplomacy. And um, it was about a week or maybe 10 days out where Senator mentioned to me, maybe we ought to take a look at the quarterback. And, and I said, you sure you want to do that? And he said, yeah, I think we should. And so I had a number of meetings with Kemp and went through what we were thinking of, what we were planning on, how we ran things, how the role of the vice presidential candidate was going to be set. And um, after a lot of back and forth, we came to some agreement, and he and the senator spent some time together. And um, it was a pretty heavy week because it was touch and go a couple times. But it all came down to that Friday before the announcement where they spoke, and we had a plane ready for him, and we snuck him in the Russell, kept him at a little hotel out in the out in the middle of nowhere and brought him in the next morning for the big announcement. And it was, uh, very few people knew about it. I kept my counsel to myself with the senator. I had everybody confused. We had different planes meeting different people. Nobody really knew where we were going. But it was, uh, it was an incredible time, again, because I thought it was what was important for Dole. It gave him the confidence in where he was going. It was his ultimate decision, but it's what he wanted to do. And my job was to execute it as well as I could with his direction. When did uh, 
uh, Ellsworth and McLaughlin, the sort of vetting team, or, or at least the, uh, the team that was looking into potential vice presidential candidate. When did they become aware that uh, Kemp was selected? Oh, I think they may have become aware about the night before he was selected, if not the minute before he was selected. I mean, they were, they were a great part of our team. They did a fabulous job of vetting everybody. You know, it takes lawyers and accountants, and there's a lot of work. But I think Senator and I knew if we were going to pull a rabbit out of the hat, it needed to be kept quietly. And, um, what, and they were part of it at the last minute. They were very supportive of it. Um, again, as, they, as people that were involved in this, and this is a big decision for a campaign. Every campaign goes for it. It's really the first major decision the candidate makes, and it has to be done right because it reflects on the candidate big time. Um, we had to go through the right type of process, and we just weren't happy with where we were. We didn't think it had the oomph, and we envisioned that arrival ceremony in San Diego where you had 12,000, 14,000 people outside screaming, excited to see Dole and excited to see his running mate, and every time we put the other faces in that picture, we just didn't get that excitement. So we thought it was the right type of combination. Again, had an element of surprise. Again, reinforced our issue that we were going to run on. And also, we thought it'd be something that could help, help us win. Um, what about the acceptance speech? Well, the acceptance speech turned out to be, and I think many uh, in the press would go back and tell you, it was probably Dole's best speech he ever gave in his career. He put a lot of time into it. He put a lot of practice into it. Um, he had actually gotten very good at delivering a speech by that part of the campaign. He, you know, Dole was a student of radio, let's face it. And he didn't, until later in life, fully understand and appreciate how television mattered and how that, that confidence came across over the television screen really made you likable. And um, he learned that as the campaign went on. And went, by the time he got to San Diego, he was ready. He had put the time into it. You know, there's skirmishes in speeches. There's always uh, stronger speechwriters than other. They have little lines. They get their egos hurt. But at the end of the day, Bowles the one that had to stand up there and give the speech. He had to run on it. He had spent his entire life getting to this point in his career. It was going to be his speech. So I didn't get too exercised when different folks would get excited about drafts and redrafts. And, you know... These conventions are pretty scripted events, and if you don't have any spontaneity, the press is going to have to cover something. They decided to spend a couple of days talking about our speech, and we laughed about it. The good news is he was upstairs practicing, getting more comfortable with it, and working on his delivery so he could hit it out of the park. And he did hit it out of the park that night. From the minute he walked in the hall, it was his night. It was his week, and that's what showed up in the poll numbers. Was Mary Will still part of the speechwriting team at that point? or No, she had, um, if I'm not mistaken, she had left the campaign right after we had won the nomination. She had had some health issues. And she was still a friend of the Doles, very close to Mrs. Dole. She was involved in things, but I don't know if she was formally part of the speech for San Diego. I just don't remember. And was Richard Norton Smith involved in the acceptance speech? Or? I don't remember. I'm sure he was because Dole would have wanted him to take a look at it or a crack out of it. You know, often for these things, we would assign two or three different people the same assignment um, to see what developed and to see what... Uh, Richard had uh, Dole's style down perfectly. Maury Will had his style down perfectly. So did other members of the team. But these are often collaborations, and um, that's how we got our best work. So how did things change then from the primary season to the general election? Uh, 
Well, we came out of the blocks after San Diego feeling pretty good about how we thought we had framed um, Dole and Kemp and the general election. Um, Perot was still out there. You know, Perot was a problem. He was a problem right up to the end of this thing. His support came right out of our hide. There was no hiding it. You know, if he hadn't run, it would have been different, would have been a lot closer. Um, but we knew we had an uphill challenge. We knew the fall would be dominated by the debates. We knew it would be dominated by how you execute every day and day out. And we also knew it would be dominated by how the Republicans in Congress would act. I mean, they had now taken over. We had gone through the whole government shutdown escapade, which was just a killer for our campaign. I mean, Dole used to go to these meetings with these guys. What's our end game, fellas? What's our end game? They'd all look at their loafers and uh, pretend they didn't hear them. They didn't have an end game, and it showed they didn't have an end game. And you follow the polling. That was a major turning point for us, for the party, for everybody. So the Congress was also an important part of this thing. Um, but we went about trying to execute on a day-in, day-out basis, create excitement. We knew the debates were going to be important. That's where, you know, when the man was standing on the stage with the man, we didn't want Perot in the debates. That was something we went to the mat for. Um, he resented it, but such is life. If he was in the debates, he could have caught fire, and we weren't going to take that risk. What kind of preparation did Dole have for the debates? Well, we had a normal um, prep process of a few weeks out, once we decided on what the debate schedule was going to be, of um, issues, of possible tactical ideas. Uh, we had practice sessions. Uh, we had Fred Thompson, senator from Tennessee, play Bill Clinton in the debates. He did a great job. We had some of these uh, practice sessions off-site where we could kind of get away from everything. But they'll put the time into the debate. Look, we knew we were going up against the master. Everybody knew that. We were never going to outmaster Bill Clinton on the feeling your pain and the likability factor. So we were going to go at it on, a, on an ideological basis on the campaign and do the best we could, and we did. I think in retrospect, all the reviews of the two debates, Dole did very well. He held his own. He didn't make any mistakes. He wasn't nervous. He knew how important they were. He knew they were going to be probably the deciding factor. Um, but I don't have any regret about how we went about that at all. What, uh, what about Gingrich during the, the lead-up to the general election? Well, after we won the nomination, Gingrich was for us. <laughs> I mean, he was always for us. Now, he was, uh, he was very uh, supportive of Dole. He didn't need to take a role in the primary. We didn't expect him to. We didn't want him to, to be quite honest. But he was part of our campaign team. Um, look, the, the, shut, the government shutdown was a disaster. It hurt Newt. It knocked Newt off his game. He lost his confidence. We lost our confidence in Newt for walking us into the pit. But it was reality. And Newt was part of our campaign team, just like Haley Barber was at the National Committee, just like Trent Lott was, who was now the Senate leader, who would replace Dole. I mean, we worked as a team. We tried. We talked in the mornings. John Engler was part of it, the governor of Michigan. He kind of represented the governors, and uh, we worked as united as we could on how we were going to take it to Clinton, um, what issues we were going to talk about, and how we were going to run the campaign. What was the high point in terms of optimism during that season? There were two high points. One was leaving San Diego. We thought Dole had really hit it out of the park with his speech. Millions of people had tuned in. The polls backed it up. We felt good about things. We also felt good with about two weeks to go before Election Day. It had been a long fall. We had been consistently trailing. 
the debates really hadn't shaken up the campaign at all um, for good or bad. It was just kind of purring along. Our advertising was okay. It wasn't great. We didn't really have any big wow commercials out there. No one really was wasn't catching anybody's attention. But when a lot of the negative research appeared on Clinton and the Chinese infiltration of money to the campaign and the and all those pictures of the Chinese coffees and all that kind of stuff, that really caught the Americans' eyes. And we saw a shift in public opinion. We saw a new shift to look at us. Um, we thought there was something there. And the American people thought there was something there because they couldn't believe this, that there had been this type of seedy behavior with the Lincoln bedrooms and all the money and all that kind of stuff. Now, today you look back at the nickels compared to what's in the business today, but that was really the first time money had infiltrated at that level. And we thought that may give everybody a second look. It didn't. We closed out the campaign with a 96-hour fly-around, which was Senator Dole's idea. We knew we weren't going to win. Uh, we didn't want to take the rest of the party down with us, and we decided, let's go give it our best. And literally on a napkin, we designed a trip that kept us on the road. I believe we went to 17 or 18 cities. I think it was 20, 25,000 miles. And it was fun. And the team, it was the last time the advanced team and the political team and the surrogates really rallied together. Dole pulled it off. He was at, we went across the country, back across the country, nonstop. I remember events in Colorado, two in the morning, when he put on his bomber jacket and went out there and it was a full moon in the mountains, and he gave a killer speech. We get back on the plane, we flew to Las Vegas. We were there at 4.30, and we, it was an exciting time because it, it, and both Trent Lott and Newt Gingrich came up to me on election night and said it saved the party. It saved their majorities in the Senate and the House because it created this excitement at the end that the Republicans had something to do, had something to say. And uh, we went into all, we thought we're all the right places. It wasn't as much the right place for us electorally, because we had already lost it at the Electoral College. But it was the right place to help, help members like Chuck Hagel is running in Nebraska and other members that ended up getting elected to the Senate in the House that cycle. And it kind of made us feel good on how we were finishing this thing. How did you keep Dole's spirits up, knowing his knowing that uh, this was doomed? Well, the most uh, they probably stayed up the strongest and the farthest and the loudest because of the crowds. I mean, our advance team did a superb job of. We knew we were where we were going to go. We put remember this is the weekend before the election. We put out the word, and we they built incredible crowds. And he had something to say. He was kind of letting it all hang out, um, and it was an you know it it took on the type of thing that people were following around the country. Where is he now? He's still up. And they had the maps and where the plane was landing at all these. We'd be in diners at 6 in the morning. And, you know, it was a wild time. I was there trying to stay awake. And we, we had a rule. We'd get on the plane, close the windows, turn off your cell phones and your beepers, and everybody had to sleep for an hour, and then get up and get ready to do it again. But um, it was the crowds. It was the excitement. It was the way the press was covering it. And it was kind of typical Dole. This is how... He wanted to end his political career. This was a career he had had for years, 35-plus years. He had reached the top. He had been his party's nominee. And this was kind of the way he is. This is his service to his country and his party. And that's how he wanted to wrap it. And uh, we look back, it was probably outside of the convention, outside of a couple blips in the polls when we got it down to three or four or five points. It was the high point, And it was, again, typical Bob Dole fashion not selfish for himself, but what was best for the party. 
And those speeches he gave in those last 96 hours, I would imagine most of them were pretty ad-libbed. He was, he was wor- working off an outline. Literally, where were we? <laughs> Who was there? We needed to remember to, uh, you know, candidates were there. And then he had about four or five big themes that he talked about. It wasn't a set speech. It wasn't a teleprompter. It was him letting it all hang out. And again, he was getting his energy from the crowds. And he was very moved that there would be thousands of people out. We were down in the bayou at one event. Thousands of people out at these odd times of the day. Then we'd get back, and you know, when you get on the plane, you get a feel from the press guys on how they're thinking, and everybody was up. And um, the campaign team was running 24-7 by that time. They, these kids were sleeping in the office every night with sleeping bags and taking showers and going back to their posts. I mean, this was a real tough thing to pull off from a logistics standpoint. And everybody, once we gave them the word, this is what we're doing. This is our last hurrah. They pulled it off. It was a, it was a good feat. At what point did he lose the Senate lose his voice, or, or did he never completely lose it? He didn't really completely lose it. By day three, we were all losing our voice. Um, it's not normal to stay up that long or even to catch little cat naps. And I think it was out on the West Coast where he first started to lose his voice before we'd made our last swing back. But it wasn't anything. You know, we, we had lemon, uh, lemon hot water on the plane, and we knew what we were doing in that sense. But it was, uh, again, even the losing of the voice is part of the dull mantra of the sacrifice he's made to his country, to his state, to his, to his party. And that's kind of how he uh, wanted to wind it up. So from your reading of the press, they weren't really just talking about this as a desperation move. They, they were putting a, a more positive spin on it? Well, when we first announced it, they did a little bit of desperation move. Um, let's face it, what were we going to do? Sit around all weekend and talk about how we were going to lose? I mean, we needed to do something. We needed to be campaigning somewhere. And by taking on such an, a, a huge exercise of going nonstop, flawlessly to all these 18 cities or whatever it was, and having people show up and be there, um, they started to learn some respect for it. After the first couple of events, it was like, wow. There were a lot of people at that diner at 6.30 in the morning where Christy Todd Whitman was out there in the dark greeting you. Uh, there were a lot of people at these other events. So it started to build on itself. Look, the press was as tired as we were. They'd been doing this for a long time. But it, 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 it gave the press... The, the press liked Bob Dole. They really did. They thought he was fun. They thought he was engaging. They didn't like the campaign a lot because they thought we kept them. We didn't let the real Dole be the real Dole. But that's part of what you have to do as a campaign if you're going to put forward a consistent message that moves votes. Um, but at the end of the day, they liked him, and they wanted to like him. Do you think his run for the presidency in 96 helped or hurt his legacy? Oh, I think it helped his legacy incredibly. Um, first of all, it was, this, was a, this was a brass ring he had been going for for 20 years. He got it. Um, it showed the country. He got 47, 48 million votes. I mean, it wasn't a small amount of votes. He, they had 40 million people watching him in those debates. They got to see the man. They got to see his life story. They got to see how he fought back from a terrible tragedy and served his country well. So I think it, it was kind of typical dole. It showed, um, it strengthened him. And look, he's gone on to have a wildly successful career. He's done very well. He's a serious guy. He does serious work for people every day. He's taken on some projects for the president's. And some worldwide events, he took on some projects after 9-11, raised $100 million for the widows and the orphans. I mean, um, he continues to have an impact on this country, and he probably will right till the day he dies. 
if you could go back and talk to yourself in January of 95 from the perspective of what you know now, what advice would you have given yourself? Oh, I still would have done it. I still would have worked to have that strong relationship with Dole that I did develop and I still have today. I probably would have brought in a few more wise men to be around um, uh, because there were times when uh, things got tough and I could have used some more help and advisors. But I don't, I don't have a lot of regrets about this. And I didn't, uh, I didn't lay awake a lot after the election was over. I thought we had given it, we'd given it our best shot. We hadn't made many mistakes. We had some unlucky draws. Again, anytime you're running against an incumbent where there's peace and prosperity, it's tough to knock him off his seat. Um, but I don't have many regrets about things we did. Uh, I probably would have had a broader team of people. I would have tried to include more people. But, you know, part of the way I ran the campaign was the way Senator Dole wanted me to run the campaign. And uh, we had a tight group. We were a tight group. Who had the most access to Senator Dole during the campaign? Probably Elizabeth Dole. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I talked to him a lot. Every, he, he was not somebody that I spent a lot of time channeling or cutting off access. You know, he knew how this game played, and he played it at the highest levels of the game. He spoke to who he wanted to speak to. He spoke to his colleagues in the Senate. He spoke to some governors. We probably used, back then, governors were really the backbone of the party. They were the, we were the majority with the governors. They were developing all these new ideas. They were the real incubator of ideas. A lot of ideas we stole nationally. Um, so he's talking to them. He talked to members of the team, but he would reach down and talk to the advanced men every once in a while. You know, why are we going to Des Moines? What are we doing there? Um, they'd be a little shocked when they'd be on the phone, but he, he was, that was fine. Good. Anything else you'd like to say in this no, uh, I think record? You've, for you've taken me down memory lane. I've about had enough. <laughs> Great. Thank well, you. Thanks very much.